Good morning, church. Today's scripture reading comes from Psalms 77, verse 11 through 14, which reads, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is great as our God. You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. This is God's word. You may be seated. As you know, uh, this time every year we get ready to uh, say goodbye to uh, a lot of our kiddos that are heading off to college or they're heading off to uh, military service or Votech school or whatever is big and, and next in their life. And uh, this second Sunday of August has always been kind of special for our church family as we, we, we say goodbye to these kiddos and let them know how much we love them and how much we enjoyed and loved having them as a part of our church family. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like it's church unless you have kids running around, right? It doesn't seem like it's church unless you have young voices and you've got, you know, short people running around. And, you know, for the privilege and the honor of, of being uh, around all of these kiddos and helping their families and, and, and babysitting and teaching in their their Sunday school classes and their Wednesday night classes, leading in devos and leading in, in retreats and on mission trips and all these kinds of things. It's just, it's just an absolute privilege and an honor to do that, to be involved in, in the making of disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. It's just an absolute honor to do that for all of us who are members of this church family. And so as they, uh, they get ready to go, as we've been doing uh, for 15, 16 years now, we want to say some things to them and to remind them, to remind us the most important things. And so before we do that, let's ask God to bless us as a, as a church family, as we study His Word and uh, we, we think about the life in front of us. Father, we, we choose to enter into the greatness of Your kingdom. And we know that that means uh, humility. We know that that means modesty before you in all things. We know that um, sometimes that will be difficult. And sometimes, not only will it be difficult, but at times there will be great temptation. Temptation all around us. But we choose you to be not only recognized as the supreme value of the universe but to be the supreme lord and king and master of our life and not only to recognize you but but to be transformed and to be changed into the likeness of your son and and to do that with, with wholeheartedness, to do it with all of our strength, knowing that even in those times where we fail, that there is grace and love and mercy and forgiveness and that you have us by our right hand. And so uh, for all of us, but especially for these, these young folk that we, we just adore, we pray, Father, that your word 
will always be the loudest word, the first word that they hear in this life. That your word will be the first word that they see every day in this life. And that's why we pray, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, to give us eyes and ears. To give us eyes and ears in this life so that we might turn toward you in all that we do. Bless us in this way, Father, in the next few minutes. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. There is a, a little-known uh, health issue in the United States. It's known as hyperthymesia. It's also called a highly superior autobiographical memory. And basically what it is is the inability to forget. And not just to forget something you know, bad that happened to you and it was full of grief that caused you to sorrow and suffer, but really you, you don't forget anything. And there are 55 people in the United States right now that have this, this, uh, this issue. One of them is a young woman by the name of Alexander Wolfe. She's one of the 55. On National Public Radio, she was describing what it's like to live without ever forgetting anything, remembering everything that has ever happened to you. And she can describe in detail every mundane, garden-variety, vanilla-flavored thing that has ever happened in her life, like what it was like to drive to Target and to buy a grocery. She, she knows that, that grocery list by heart, even though it happened 10 years ago. She remembers what she wore and ate every day for the past decade. She remembers if the fan in her bedroom was running on this date a year ago. How would you like to live like that? There's a, another person in, in the interview with NPR that says that he remembers all of the wrongs that were ever done against him. And he also remembers all of the wrongs he's done to anyone else. All of the wrong things he's done in life. Now, think about a life in which you forget and you remember nothing and everything. Now, for most of us, in fact, probably for all of us in this room, in fact, I would probably lay my last dollar that everybody in this room has issues from time to time with forgetting and remembering. There are things, we, we sometimes think that it's, it's possible to get past some, some very painful or traumatic experiences in our life that we can forgive and forget or we can just forget about it. But here's the thing, God has given us this room called remember that is highly developed and all of us are going to go to the grave with things that we can't forget but wish we could. And it's the same thing with remembering. Those that have had to take care of and, and, to, and to be patient with and to extend love to folks who are going through um, a form of a stage of dementia or Alzheimer's know the, the terrific fear, the, 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 the horrific pain that can come because you can't remember the name of this person that intuitively you know that you love them but you can't remember their name, let alone their relationship with you. We have to work to forget some things, and we have to work to remember the things that we need to remember for all of life. And that's especially true as we begin to move on in life and begin to, to walk our own path in such a way that, that we're not always surrounded by parents or our best friends or our family or aunts and uncles and people like that that are going to take care of us and remind us and be there to, to keep our, our feet on the right path. And that's why we take a moment like this 
to remember some essential things about life. And these are the things I want you to remember. The first is this. Nothing is more important than God. Let's say that together as a church. Nothing is more important than God. Let's say it again. Nothing is more important than God. There is no one, there is nothing that trumps God in this life. Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, You shall have no other gods before me. That is the most basic fundamental truth of what it means to be a human being. You know, we say this a lot. We, we talk about coming and, and worshiping God. The most important thing that you can do in your life is to worship God for this very reason. You may have noticed, I've talked about it before, the Bible never commands worship. And the reason for that is because our hearts, the way that human hearts were created and fabricated by God and, and, and strung together with, with wires and all of that kind of stuff, our hearts are made for worship. We worship naturally. What the Bible does not do is tell us to worship. What the Bible does is say, since you are worshiping and you're made to worship and you will worship, make sure that you worship God. Which means that you attribute worth and greatness and ultimateness. Now, I don't even know if that's a word. But you get what I'm talking about. You put God in the highest place. There's nothing in life that trumps God. And because it... What happens is if you do decide to worship something that's not God, whatever it might be, whatever, however beautiful it might be at first, or pleasurable, beautiful, wonderful, exciting, whatever it might be, in the end it will enslave you. And when you worship anything that is not God, it will bend you and twist you and it will wreck your life and wreck your relationships. There is nothing that trumps God in this world. And so the habit that you have developed over the last 17 or 18 years of your life is, is, is essential. You, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself for the rest of your life, you always find a place in which you can come together with people in worship and sing and fellowship. It's a habit. It's a habit for people who understand that God is the most important thing, the most significant thing, the supreme value of the universe, is to find that place where you worship God with people who are like-minded, to find people that will support your desire to have God first in your life. And the same thing with reading the Bible. Reading the Bible is more than just putting together a lesson. Uh, for the, those of you who have... The last 16 years, been listening to me preach every Sunday, sometimes twice on Sunday, you've heard 836 sermons. That's pretty amazing. That's a lot of opportunities to fall asleep, right? So, 836 times. But here's the thing. Not all of the study of God's Word, I'll, I'll speak very transparently in my own life, I, I study God's Word a ton academically and professionally and, and every day of my life for the past 35, 36, 37 years. Putting together lessons, putting together ways of communicating God's Word that it makes sense to people and, and expands the horizons of God's presence in your life. But I also, that's, that's reading the Bible and studying the Bible to become a scholar. There's also, and this is even more important, is learning to read the Bible where you become a saint. Where you're actually sensing that your soul is being fed by God. 
that you're becoming a different kind of an individual because not only have you connected with God and chosen to worship God, but God's Word is in your heart, not just in your ear, but it's in your heart. It's in the deep recesses of your soul. And you obey it. And all of a sudden you realize that one day you're not doing the Ten Commandments or any of the other commands in the Bible because because God said so and you just happen to agree with it, but you're doing it because you can't think of any other way that you would rather live. It just makes sense. That's a righteousness that's beyond the Pharisee kind of righteousness. That is the kind of righteousness that comes because there is a truth that has become embedded in your life and in your heart, and it's who you have become. There's nothing, there's nothing that trumps God. Number two, graciously give thanks. Let's say that together. Graciously give thanks. Let's say it again. Graciously give thanks. One of the things that the Bible says over and over and over again is give thanks. Be thankful in everything that you do. Give thanks. And the reason is because of passages like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. It's by, it's been, it's, it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. Romans chapter 5, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this what? Grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God in us. A fellow by the name of Denzel Washington, you've all heard of him. You know, one of the things, uh, and you've seen his movies, and, and you know, he's in the news all the time. One of the things that you may not know about Denzel Washington is he, he says, I read the Bible. I live in a culture, Hollywood culture, that does not appreciate or affirm this or practice this, but I read the Bible every day. And I pray every day. And he says this, it's up here on the screen. He says, give thanks for blessings every day. Every day. Embrace gratitude. Encourage others. It is impossible to be grateful and hateful at the same time. I pray that you put your slippers way under your bed at night so that when you wake up in, in the morning, you have to start on your knees to find them. And you know what he means by that, right? You begin in prayer. And while you're down there, say thank you to God. A bad attitude is like a flat tire until you change it. You're not going to go anywhere. You know, one of the things, and, and not just for these that are getting ready to head off to college, military, whatever, but for all of us, this is a truth that we embrace. We have been given a life we don't deserve. We have been given a life that we do not deserve. One of the ways that we talk about the gospel is this way, that we understand intuitively that there's something wrong with us, that humanity is broken, and even if you don't sense it in yourself, if you want to sense it in other people, all you have to do is turn on the news. And then you realize that there is nothing you're going to be able to do. Psychology has never cured anyone. That is a fact. It doesn't mean that psychology is bad. It helps people to cope. It helps people to deal with reality. But it's never cured anyone. What happens is when we realize that it's hopeless in terms of our ability to get the life that we want, and it's not just the stuff, and it's not just the things in the bank account, but the life where we feel whole and we feel human, 
And we feel like a, a, a person that has purpose and some significance in, in the greatness of the universe, that we have significance. It's got to come from some other place than ourselves. And the gospel is that God, even though we're broken, sees a beauty in us that He is willing, through God the Son, to forfeit His life in order that justice can be done in all of the cosmos. That all of the sin, all of the, every vain word that we've ever said, everything that is wrong with humanity can be forgiven because the debt has been paid. But it's not just, well, thank you for the salvation, uh, Jesus. I don't need you, I guess, in this life until I see you in heaven. That's why they call it a new birth and not a graduation. When you hear the words of the gospel, and you respond in faith, and you believe. I mean, you believe all the way down to your toenails. You believe that what God has done in Christ is for you, and you align your life with the will of God, and your sins are washed away in baptism, and you have repented, which means just kind of one of those theological, technical terms that means you're going to go the opposite direction of the way you've always been going. Then what happens is God puts His Spirit in you. And you begin to be the human being you were always intended to be. That you become more and more like Jesus in the way that you love God, in the way that you love people, and the things that you do every day. Even if you work for Ford Motor Company, you're actually, he's just paying your bills, I mean, or he's paying your paycheck. You actually work for God. You're changing the world there. I don't care if it's in a school system. You, you know, the county may, or the, or the city, or the private school may pay your paycheck. But you work for God in that place. As the person He is making you to be. A person of love. And a person of self-control. And a person who minds their words. And knows how to use them to build up people rather than to tear them down. A person who is patient and gentle and kind and faithful. And the gospel takes away the fear of death. Dallas Willard, who died back in 2013, said this, and I, when I read it, it blew my mind because I think he's absolutely right. He said, you know, um, with this, this cancer that I have, I'm, it's terminal, I'm going to die. And when I die, I probably won't know it for a long time. Because I've been promised life eternal by Jesus of Nazareth. Do you believe that? So you graciously give thanks. Nothing's more important than God. And remember that the light is always on. The light is always on. I, I've said this before. Let me say it again. I have nothing against the term Christian. I love it. It's a biblical term. But before we were Christian, we were called disciples. We were called to be people who emulate and practice a life that looks like the Messiah. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, You're the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In other words, you can argue anything you want to argue, but you can't argue with a changed life. I may not be a scholar of much of anything, but, the, but I'm a scholar, the top scholar in this auditorium right now in one area, and one area only. And that's in the area of what God has done in the life of Mark Absher. 
There is no place that I go as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, as a changed human being, that the light is not on. That the things that I do somehow reflect the presence of God not only in my life, but in, the, the, in all of creation. The light is all, always on. And then number, uh, number four, service is a way of life. Let's say that together. Service is a way of life. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 28. Jesus, who's the king of the universe, he created everything. Created everything. He is Lord and master and more powerful than our imagination can even begin to imagine. He came to be a servant. To not be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In a lot of ways... Christians are like tugboats. Tugboats, as you know, they don't ever really get out of the harbor a lot of the time. They have one job and one job only, and that is to stay inside of that harbor in that one body of water, and that is to serve other boats. And it's not very glamorous. I have never seen, uh, when you walk into somebody's room, I have, you, know, you can walk into some kid's room and you'll see models of sailboats, you see models of, of uh, uh, aircraft carriers. But I have yet to see somebody, you know, walk into somebody's room and they put together a beautiful model of a tugboat. Maybe they're out there. I've never seen them. Tugboats are not very glamorous. Most of the time, they're pretty ugly. But they serve a purpose that is essential to all of life. And in a lot of ways, we, we need that tugboat mentality that we serve a, a, a bigger cause than our own life. I mean, all your life, all your time in our church family has been about serving others, serving people in our church family, serving people in the community, serving your friends, serving, serving the community at large. And that's a way of life. It's not something that looks cool on a resume, even though it can. And it's not something that takes up your Saturday, even though it can. It's just a way of life. And one of the things, one of the questions you always have to ask yourself, coming from, from the, the, the story of the Good Samaritan, remember... The priest and the Levite, when they saw that guy on the side of the road, they didn't get involved because they asked the question, what happens to me if I stop? Where the Samaritan, when he saw that guy on the side of the road, it was going to be inconvenient, it was going to cost, it was going to be a sacrifice, but he asked the question, what happens to him if I don't stop? Life is about service. And then finally, go all in with the church. Go all in with the church. And, and we'll end right there. I want to say again how much we love you guys. That's, that's just a fact. That's a fact of what it means to be a part of a church family. Is for us to see you grow up, you can think about your music performances, your sports performances, uh, plays, musical, all, all the activities that you've been in. For, for most of you, if not all of you, at every one of those, there was somebody from this church family that was there watching you and, and hugging you and, and was there to watch and congratulate or to console or whatever it was. But this church, into you. And we want to say to you, wherever you go, go all in with the church. You may not be our kids physically, but you're our kids spiritually. And we love you.
I'm so glad you started clapping because I nearly started shedding some tears here. <laughs> Broke me right out of it. But we're not going to forget about you, and we don't want you to forget about us. We're going to pray for you. We want you to pray for us. And when we see you at Thanksgiving or whenever it is the next time you're here, make sure you're here, and we want to hug you. Don't be embarrassed. I won't kiss. I'll hug, but I won't kiss. But we want to see you, and we're, and we're grateful to know you. And, we, and we're thankful to God that we do. We're going to sing a song right now. It's an invitation song, and it's, it's, it's an invitation to change your life. It's an invitation to get your life in alignment with God. It, it's, about, it, it's about loving and experiencing and embracing all of the benefits that come from being a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. It's about sins being forgiven. It's about God's Spirit coming into your life. It's about a new life. It's about a significant, a significant life. It's about a life with a purpose and a goal and a life that ends in an eyeball-to-eyeball encounter with God without fear because of His grace and love and forgiveness and mercy. We'll have some of our shepherds down here at the front. If you'd like to connect in any way with God, or maybe we need to be praying for you for something that's going on in your life, we want you to come down and talk to these shepherds as we stand and we praise God together. No longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. I will hasten to Him, hasten so glad and free. Jesus, greatest, highest, I will come to Thee.